You're listening to the GGC Life Podcast, weekly messages from our Sunday services. We hope this message encourages you. Be blessed. This morning, I have the honor and privilege to talk about one of the most unpopular topics ever to be preached on a sermon. I will be talking about hell this morning. Now, from the outset, I didn't wake up this morning. Um, I didn't jump out of my bed at 5.30 going, I get to preach about hell. Yes, They're going to love it. It's going to be so encouraging. It's going to be like, like, I didn't do that this morning. To be honest, this week, I was like, God, if you will take this cup from me, like I was like, whole. I didn't want to preach on hell. But God is saying, you know what? This is the last week on evangelism and it's time to preach on hell. So you ready? All right, good. You know, it's like medicine. Have you ever tried and given a three-year-old medicine? I have a three-year-old daughter, and a month ago, she was sick, and she stayed home, and I said, honey, she's on the couch, and she's got a blanket up, and I'm like, oh, Baba, you're so, like, not well, like, I'm going to, like, you know, we prayed for her, I'm like, but I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you some medicine if you don't get better, and she goes, Teddy, I went, yes, yes, honey, please stop talking, <laughs> why, because I don't want medicine, but sometimes we need that medicine in our lives, don't we? And today we're going to get a good dose of medicine. You know, most of the world's population holds to a very unbiblical view about hell. And we owe it to ourselves to know what the Bible actually really says about hell. Because what you think about hell affects what you think about God. It's not a popular subject. The modern modern preacher and the church have tried to eliminate the preaching of hell from their pulpits, but no matter how silent we may remain about hell, hell still exists and people every day are dying and heading to hell. So the title of my message is Hell's Realities. Hell's Realities. You know, I think sometimes our lack of revelation of this reality of hell, that stops us from sharing our faith, to be honest. And this morning, we need to be taught on this topic and its reality. So what I pray happens this morning is two things. This is what I want to take out of this from this morning. Is number one, I want us to see again what God's love saved us from. Yeah? How many times do we say, it's too hard. I quit. This Christianity is just too hard. I've had a bad day. I don't want to do it anymore. Like, I don't want to believe the Bible anymore. But sometimes we need to remind ourselves of what His love actually saved us from. And that one day where it's really, really hard because my shirt didn't get washed and I can't wear my favorite shirt. Um, I do the washing. It's fine. Or like, you know, we've, someone didn't call us back or someone offended me and we want to just quit. we got to remind ourselves, whoa, whoa, what am I saved out of? And the second thing is being reminded of where millions of people are going without that love. Because the truth is, is that there is a hell and our friends, our family members, apart from Jesus, are heading there right now. And it's a sobering truth. Now, I don't take this message lightly. I don't want to offend anyone. Well, maybe I do. I don't want to upset anyone. But without Christ, you and I would be in hell. Without him, we would be on our way to hell. And without Christ, our friends and families, think about them right now. I want you to take a moment. Let it sink in. If they were to die right now, if they don't know Jesus, they'd be on hell. 
And our job is to realize the reality of this and be stirred so much to share the love of Jesus to those around us. Amen. Just like what Dean did. Stirred so much by the love of God. I don't want you going to hell. You know, we got we have family members in, in both our sides, and immediate family, my 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 in-laws and um, you know, my my my, my sister-in-law, my my brother-in-law, they don't know Jesus. And and for us, this is it, it's an awakening to be like, I need to share God's love whatever way I can, whatever moment I get, whether it's like, you know, me, I was getting a haircut the other day and 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 I was just I just said, God, I've been I've been preparing on hell. How do I just share this guy's love without freaking him out? I'm in Maryland and I don't know what he's like. And he's and I just started talking to him and he was opened up and I just got to share a bit of God's love in his life. Hairdresser, random guy. And that's just a prayer happens to us. So all we're going to do for the rest of this morning, we're going to go to Luke 16. So if you've got your Bibles, please go to Luke chapter 16. Are you ready? Are you taking notes? I really encourage you to be taking notes. You know what? I encourage our leaders, whoever preaches, let's all be taking notes because it's something then later on we can reflect on and we can learn from. And All right, so Luke 16 verse 19. Let me read. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared scrumptiously, fared scrumptiously, I love that word, scrumptiously, sumptuously, what is it? Sumptuous. I like the word scrumptiously. Let's go with scrumptious. I think they've printed it on wrong on the Bible, but anyway, it's fine. <laughs> Joking. Every day. This is the new King James. This is good. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And then he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tongue of his finger, the, the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am, in tor- I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he's comforted and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor those who pass from there pass to us. Then he said, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest one of them come to this place of torment. And Abraham said to him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, If they do not hear from Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one, though one rise from the dead. Powerful story, hey? Very sobering, isn't it? What I want to do is I want to set up this story for a moment. There are two arguments for this. Um, one argument is that Jesus is telling a parable. 
because he often spoke in parables. Actually, that's how he communicated most of the time was in parables. So some people say that it was a parable. And there are other theologians that say it was an actual event, that this actually took place, which is I stand to believe with these scholars after studying this passage, um, that it actually Jesus is describing an actual occurrence. Because in 38 Proverbs, parables that Jesus told, he never once called anyone by name. Never. But in this story, he mentions two people by names, Lazarus and Abraham. And the story narrative doesn't follow a typical parable outline, which was very common in Jewish. There was a, when you told a parable back in the Jewish time, there was a certain structure you had to stick by as, as what it was a parable. See, in this story, there's no explanation. As per other parables, there's always an explanation to why. And the disciples didn't even ask for one. Which some say it's because it was, a tr- it was a true account of the story. So therefore, there was a rich man who went to hell and Lazarus who went to heaven. And why it's important to know is because if this is a real occurrence, then it gives us an insight into what this place, hell, is like. So, a few thoughts from this story. Are you ready? All right. Point number one, hell has a purpose. Hell has a purpose. You know, people often ask the question when we're talking to them about Jesus, when we're evangelizing and we start to share the gospel, we start to share our faith, we talk about Jesus and God is love and he loves you and Jesus loves you. And then usually you hear the other person say, well, if God loves people, why is he sending them to hell? Who's ever heard that reply? Why does a good, loving God send them to hell? And we think, good question. Actually, wrong question, <laughs> because he doesn't send. But, but why does he, right? Why does he send? Because God is love. That's true. God is love, but God is also just. And there's a lot of scripture that talks about, like in Romans 9, 4, it says, What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. And in Psalms 35, it says, God is just. You see, God is love. And God is just. So how can a loving God send people? Well, God is love. And His love and His justice is met in the cross of Jesus Christ. Because He's love. But there's also sin and He needs to be just. And that's why He brings the cross together so the two can meet and we can enter heaven. So God, so hell has a purpose. So let's look at why hell exists. Do you want to know why it exists? Good, I will. I love my wife. She's the best encourager. (laughs) Hell exists for God to punish Satan in a righteous way. Primarily, that's why hell exists. The first reason why it does. In Matthew 25, 41, Jesus, he says, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. See, hell is prepared for the devil and his fallen angels. Satan doesn't own hell. You know, the first, um, the, the, the first experience or the first uh, encounter I had with hell was um, I, I grew up as a good Catholic boy. And um, my mom didn't let me watch certain things, but she let me watch The Simpsons. So um, <laughs> we don't let our kids watch The Simpsons. We're good parents. And um, love you, Ma. 
And, um, and the first time I saw hell was in The Simpsons. Um, if it was everyone watched The Simpsons, Bart, Bart Simpson is on his skateboard and he's skating around and Mr. Burns hits him with the car and um, he's on the way to heaven. I was like, how is he going to heaven? But anyway, um, and he's on the escalators and it's like, hold on to the rail, do not spit. And he spits. And then that was the last draw and, he, and the, 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 the escalators uh, stop and it's like this slide thing and he slides all the way back down to hell. And, and Bart's in hell and he's, fr- and he's like, oh my gosh, what am I doing here? And then um, and Satan's there with his computers. Like, Haha, welcome to hell. Like, you're here. And, um, and, and, and he's like, oh no, I made a mistake. You're not meant to be here for another hundred years. Go back up. And then Bart goes, oh, is there anything I can do not to come back down here and he goes yeah but you know you won't like it so make sure you still you do this and this like all right see you next time bye bye and that was my first picture of hell and I was like wow like is that what hell is like like Satan runs hell but it's not actually Satan runs absolutely nothing in hell it's a prison for Satan and his demons and why that's important is because there's a world out there who think that hell is his party place I don't care if I go to hell because look my mates will be there no it's actually a place where God deals with sin and we're going to go a bit more into hell about what it's like but it has a purpose and it's for Satan and number two, hell exists to deal with sin and unbelievers. You see, hell itself, now hear me out, hell itself is morally good because a good God must punish evil. Hell itself is morally good because a good God must punish evil. Does that make sense? Yeah? So in 2 Thessalonians 1, 8 to 9. Now, look, if there's anything that you want to don't agree with, um, I'm right, you're wrong. And second, <laughs> you can talk to me after the service and uh, you're still wrong. No, I'm joking. So I'm joking. Got to add some. In flaming fire, inflicting vengeance of those who do not know God. And on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, that will suffer the punishment of the eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his might. A just God cannot allow sin into heaven um, or sinful people into heaven, which is why we need to preach the good news of Jesus everywhere we go so people don't up, end up in hell. We don't, you know, Jesus didn't preach hell much to the unrighteous. He actually preached hell to the religious people. He only ever shed love to the sinners. He said, sin no more, come follow me. So I want us to be stirred this morning. And sometimes we're afraid to share. You, you, you know, we're afraid to share God's love with, with a fear of man. But Jesus says, do not be afraid of those who can kill the body and cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So the worst thing that can happen to you and I is nothing compared to the worst thing that will happen to those who don't know him. It's nothing compared to what's going to happen to those who don't know him. See, for believers, our home is heaven and we're just passing through. And for unbelievers, hell is their destination. And our desire should be to divert their course. Amen? So why would a loving God create such a place? We've just said it. And could it be that we hate hell so much that we don't hate evil enough? That if we were to hate evil and sin, we'd understand why hell is actually needed. Does that make sense? So it's got a purpose. 
And we look at this man's life. And he looks like an average man, a normal man. Why did he deserve hell? Well, let's have a quick look. This guy was, it says, there was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen. This guy was filthy rich. Actually, scholars say the one outfit of his linen was worth that much that he could feed one homeless man, one person for a whole year. Just one. And he had many of those. And he wore purple. Back then, the only royalty or the real rich, because to extract, extract that dye to get purple was incredibly expensive. And this guy wore it. And he fed. Imagine your favorite restaurant. Go back to your favorite restaurant where you're going to go if someone shouts you or your birthday because you know that I am not paying for this restaurant, right? <laughs> yeah, you know which one I'm talking about? Your favorite favorite. Not yeah. Imagine that every day. Every day. And the beggar. If I can only eat the scraps that come from the table. And then he's got sores and the dog's licking his sores, which is disgusting. Obviously, this man had no compassion. The rich man had no compassion for him. It shows that he doesn't have a godly life. You know what I found interesting? That was in, when he went to hell, he doesn't say, I didn't know. The rich man never once said, it's not fair. Why am I here? What did I do wrong? What did he complain about? Have mercy on me, for I am in torment. I honestly, this is my revelation that I purely believe that he knew that where he was was a just place for him. Because he didn't complain about the unjust of it. And that's why we sing powerful songs like, I don't deserve it. I couldn't earn it. Still, you give yourself away. How amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I don't deserve it, but he's so good and he's so loving that he gives it freely to anyone who will listen. Amen. Number two, hell is a real place of torment. I'm getting hot just talking about it. Dad joke. All right. And he cries and says, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip, just the tip of his finger in water. Just a tip, just, just a tip of his finger in water. And put it on my tongue because I'm in torment. That's all I'm asking. That is all I'm asking. Hell is a real place. And Jesus refers to hell as a real place. There's a verse you want to write down, Matthew 10, 28. Matthew 13, 40 to 42. Mark 9, 43. I can send you notes. But you see, in all those scriptures, Jesus talks about, you know the story, it's better to enter life with cut your arm off and pluck your eye and don't go, you know, when he talks about that. The word hell, every time he spoke to it, um, was the word translated from the Greek into the Greek, Gehenna. Say Gehenna. Gehenna. So this place actually existed. And uh, Jesus referred to hell. When he referred to hell, he referred to a place called Gehenna. So we're going to do some history for the next two minutes. You want to do some history? All right. Does anyone know what the? Does anyone has ever, anyone ever heard of Gehenna before? A couple of people. Awesome. Great. None of you do good. This is good. So let's do something. Gehenna derived from a Hebrew word, Geh Gehenem, or the Valley of Hennem. Now the Valley of Helem is Hennem is a deep, narrow glen just outside of Jerusalem. I don't know where it is. Um, it, it was also called Topet, or the Valley of Dead Bones. And you can find in Jeremiah 31. Now, this is a real place in the Old Testament. And what they did in the Old Testament was a place where people would go and worship a pagan god called Molech. Now, what they would do to worship him 
is they would sacrifice their firstborn on fire to this pagan god. It's a disturbing ritual where children would be sacrificed in that fire, which eventually was stopped by King Josiah. But then the valley became a dumping ground for sewage and waste of the city. And it was a place where literally was crawling with worms and maggots. And it was a place where the, all the rubbish or the filth and was there. And the fire continued to burn. All the, all the dead bodies, impurities, it, and it stunk. This place literally stunk of rotten corpses and stuff. And it was just consuming fire. Hence the name Gehenna came to be used as a symbolic as a symbol of punishment. So Jesus used Gehenna to describe everlasting hell. So when Jesus would say, it's better for you to enter into life maimed than having two hands, than to go to Gehenna into the, uh, sorry, it is better for you to enter life maimed than having two hands to go to Gehenna in the fire that shall never quench. His audience stood up and they listened. They were like, oh, I know Gehenna. This place is real. I do not want to go to this place. But what is our view of hell today? Is it a place of immense, like if you really believed that this place exists, our lives would look so different, wouldn't it? Like how much would it change you? How much reverency for God would we have? If we knew that if we really believed in our hearts, not in our heads, but in our hearts, that there's this everlasting lake of fire and we are saved from it, our lives would be so different. We would approach life so different, wouldn't we? So hell is real and it's a bad place. Now, why do I say that? Because there are a lot of teachings out there. If you Google, which I don't encourage you, but if you Google, there's a lot of preaching out there that say hell isn't real. A lot of people say it. A lot of big pastors who, who lead this one, who leads mega thousand people in church, written a book, say, God, hell isn't real. It's a place where you go and then it's just a place of nothingness. It's okay. If it's such a place of nothingness, then why would Jesus use such destructive words about hell? Why then come, split heaven and earth open, come, live a perfect life, die for our sins, if we were going to go to a place of nothing? It makes it, does that make sense? C.S. Lewis said this, I love C.S. Lewis, Narnia, he said, Got to lighten up the room. I have met, he said this, I've met no people who fully disbelieved in hell and also have a living, life-giving belief in heaven. The biblical teaching on both, on both destinations stands or falls together. When heaven and hell are spoken of in scripture, each place is portrayed as being just as real and in some passages anyway as permanent as the other. You know, by denying hell, we deny the extent of God's holiness. You know, when we minimize the sin seriousness, we minimize God's grace through Christ. And number three, we need a call for urgency in the church today, in my life, our lives. And I'm putting myself right bang in the smack in the middle of this sermon, right? It says this, if you continue reading on, it says, then he said, I beg you. I beg you. Can you imagine his plea? Just imagine. I beg you, please, that you would send him to my father's house for I have five brothers that he may testify to them. At least one of them come to this place of torment. Please, I beg you, send someone. Go tell them. 
please. What happens? His focus shifted from his pain and he realized, oh my goodness, my family's going to end up just where I am if nothing is done about it. I beg of you, please do something. There was an urgency in his voice. What was one of the greatest tricks the devil played? We all know that. To pretend that he doesn't exist, right? To make the world think he doesn't exist. What do you think he's doing about hell? We need that urgency. I, I'm praying this stirs you up on an urgency going, not to tell them, oh, you're going to hell, you're going to hell, but to share God's love because in your heart, like not even, like when's the last time we prayed for our unsaved family? Like prayed for them. And I'm putting myself right there. When's the last time? I've got to do that more often. And this week it stirred me. The realities of, man, that's where they're going. I ain't going. God, give me an opportunity where I can just, like if prayer works, which it does, then God, I pray right now that you would just put a situation where I have the chance just to share one thing. And he will. Do we have the urgency for it? I pray that we do have that urgency Jesus said, enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go by it, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are a few who find it. If we actually believe this about hell, what's it got to do with evangelism? Because if we truly believed this, it would, it would give us the compassion for those on the streets or our families. That love that Jesus had love. You see how the compassion he had for people? He knew knew what he was here to do. We're motivated by love. And can I be honest? Researching this on hell, it's made me so much more thankful what Jesus has done for me. Like, think about it for a minute. When you start to realize that you and I were heading to a place of immense torment and, and we were not only a life of hell, but eternity without God, aren't you more grateful? And you just go, God, I don't deserve it. I say, thank you. Your love was so reckless. It, 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 you did everything you could in your power to bring Jesus down and do everything he could so I could freely just accept you. Because I'd fall on my knees and go, thank you that song the movie's out i can only imagine what it will be like when i stand well i still you've heard the song right and he goes i cannot i can't remember the surrounded by your glory what will my heart will i stand for you jesus i warrant all of you be still will i stand in your presence or will i in my on my knees will i fall will i sing hallelujah Will I be able to sing it at all? I can't imagine what I will do. So grateful that I'm not going there. So grateful. If the band can come up, I want to finish with this. I want to share a story. It's a real story that took place. About a man named Charles Peace. Charles Peace lived in 1832 and died in 1879. He was an English career criminal whose burglaries and murders eventually led him to his execution. But during his final walk to the gallows, he was about to be hung, the condemned man was visited by a nameless pastor who took peace, the man, to repent of his sins and to seek God's mercy before meeting the hangman. 
and was going to meet God as judge. So this guy is about to die. Can you imagine this? Put yourself into this. You're with someone. He's about to die. He's a criminal, and you know he's going to hell. He's about to be hung. And the pastor, who made such an appeal many times before to convicted men, he's done this before, facing execution, seemed to deliver his appeal with all the passion of a man reading aloud from the yellow pages. There was no zeal, no passion, no urgency in what the pastor had to say, particularly when he mentioned the reality of hell. Charles Peace, just moment from his execution, was shocked at the lifelessness of the pastor's words, and he responded with what would be his last words on earth. And he said this before he died. Sir, I do not share your faith. But if I did, if I believed what you say you believed, although England were covered with the broken glasses from coast to coast, I would crawl the length and breadth of it on my hands and knees. And I think the pain worthwhile just to save a single soul from this eternal hell of which you speak. And then he was hung and he died. I would think the pain worthwhile just to save a single soul from this eternal hell of which you speak. Is there an urgency in our voice this morning? I pray that this rattles your cage a little. I pray it shakes you up. Like I said, two things to remind you and myself what we're saved from. Ever be so thankful that when I stand and I worship God, I will not have a cup of coffee in my hand with hands in my pocket thinking about what I'm going to do next because I remind myself of everything you did so I could come freely into your presence because I could do nothing without you. And I just say thank you for all that you've done. That shakes me and stirs me. And secondly, it shows man there's a whole bunch of people who need to know his love. So why don't we stand? You've been listening to the GGC Life Podcast. We hope this message has encouraged you. For more, please visit our website, ggclife.com or email us, ggclife at ggclife.com. From our house to yours, be blessed.